We are in the midst of a war. And I'm not talking about the one happening right now in Ukraine. But we are in a supernatural struggle. That right now there is spiritual warfare going on around us. And it's been going on for millennia, even if you're not aware of it. But today, hopefully, your eyes will be opened to the reality that we are in a supernatural struggle. Now, many in here, and I would include even some that would say, I'm not even a Christian, many of you have experienced that there are supernatural powers of evil in the world. We've seen people come to this church and they said, you know, I've, I've been dabbling in, in tarot cards or in seances, and, and I, there's a real evil force out there. Some of you, not even Christians, you're like, yeah, there is evil in the world. And then there's some of you who are in here and you're thinking, who is this crazy guy talking about these spiritual things? Because when we talk about the supernatural, some people are like, well, I'm a scientific person. I don't know about all that stuff out there. That seems a little crazy to talk about angels and demons and Satan and all that stuff. But if that's you here today, I would ask you to doubt your doubts. Okay, can you just for a little while doubt your doubts? Maybe you're wrong. Because every single one of us knows that there is more to the world than what meets our eyes. I remember just the first time, it was like in biology as a freshman in high school, we put uh, some amoeba underneath the slide and we got out the microscopes and I'm like, whoa, look in this amoeba, there's all these different things going on, all these little cells, and then within the cells there's different things going on, and then, you know, the, the teacher's like, well, actually there's even more stuff like that. The, it, within it, there's atoms and there's these protons and, and, and neutrons and electrons you can't even see, and inside of those you learn that there's even things called quarks that we don't even understand that move this way and that and nobody has any clue what's going on. So if you're a scientist, you know there's more than meets the eye. And I think that every single one of us who has lived through the last three years knows that there are certain things that are invisible to us that can wreak havoc on our lives. Talking about COVID, right? You can't see it, yet it completely upended the way we live. So we know there are things you cannot see that impact us. So just maybe there's a supernatural realm out there. So just doubt your doubts for a minute. Listen to this message because the truth is there is a supernatural reality around us. There are angels, there are demons, there is a Satan, and there is a supernatural struggle going on right now that we are in the midst of. And whether you are aware or not, it's happening. So we need to get ready for it. So what you need to learn today is that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We are on a war, but it's not fought with tanks and F-15s or weapons. We are in a war, but it's a supernatural one. So we're going to learn, because of that truth, what do we do in response. And from Daniel today, as we look at chapters 10 and 11 of the book of Daniel, we're going to learn three different things that, uh, of how we're supposed to approach this supernatural struggle that you and I are in, even if you're just aware of it for the first time today. So three different things that we need to respond. It's not everything we need to do, but three things we can learn from Daniel about how to respond to our supernatural struggle. So um, if you have a Bible, open with me to Daniel chapter 10. We're going to be in chapters 10 and 11 today. If you have your smartphone and you have downloaded on your phone the YouVersion Bible app, um, you can look for our Rice Church Denver event and see that for today. Um, and save your scripture and your notes and all that stuff right there on your phone. Um, we're in a series right now called um, Behind the Scenes because in this second half of the book of Daniel, we really do get to peek behind the scenes. And today we're going to see some crazy supernatural things, some truths that are out there that maybe we're not aware of. So hopefully even if you can't see them, you're going to be aware and then know what to do about them. 
So we're going to start in Daniel 10. Let's look at verse 1 together. Daniel 10, 1. We read, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel. So it's a revelation, a vision, where he's seeing behind the scenes who was called Belteshazzar, which was the name given to him by the Babylonian emperor. Its message in this revelation was true, and it concerned a great war. So here's Daniel. He has this vision, and it's about a great war. I emphasize that phrase because this vision that he's going to have is actually going to extend now from chapter 10 all the way to the end of the book in chapter 12. It's three chapters, um, but that's a lot of scripture to cover. So we're just going to cover chapter 10 and 11 today because 11 is very long, and we're going to move quickly. And I'm saying that because every word and every verse of the Bible is inspired and inerrant. It's important. You should read it, but we're not going to cover all of it today. You should read it on your own. But what he sees, and we're going to see this in chapter 11, is it's actually a series of wars spanning hundreds of years. There's wars and battles and intrigue and betrayals. And and it's like, well, then why does he call it a great war? Because the war he's talking about is not a human war. It's not flesh and blood. It's something that's supernatural. So he sees this vision of this supernatural war that's been going on for millennia and is continuing up into this present day that you and I are a part of, whether we are aware of it or not, and will continue on until the end. So he sees this vision of the Great War, and it freaks him out. He is actually completely devastated by this, so overwhelmed that he says for the next three weeks, 21 days, he's mourning Meaning he's crying, he's overwhelmed, he's sad because what he saw was so crazy that he is overwhelmed. It it says in that time that he's fasting, and this time he's like not eating fancy meat or or fancy wine, but he's also not using lotions for some reason, okay? So no lotions during this time period, probably because he was like, I don't want anything like nice. I'm not eating choice food, I'm not drinking good wine, I'm not even using lotion on my body. Because what I saw was so crazy that I need some time to figure out what's going on. He's processing, right? And probably during this time also, as we'll see in just a minute, he is praying. He's praying because of what is going to happen next. So three weeks, he's overwhelmed, in anguish because of what he's seeing. Now, I want to show you on the timeline where this is in Daniel's life, if you've been here for a little while. Um, Daniel, of course, was a teenager when he had been captured and taken as a slave to live in Babylon. And so that's in 605 BC that he gets taken to Babylon, and he actually ends up serving the king as as a wise counselor, as an administrator, multiple kings, Nebuchadnezzar, and several different Babylonian kings. And then he even makes it to the time where the Persian Empire comes and takes over the Babylonian Empire, when he is now in his early to mid-80s. So he's a very old man, lived through all the craziness. So in the second half of the book of Daniel, that's when we get into his visions. In, in 550 B.C., he has the first vision. And then in 550, or 548, he has the second one. 539, he has what we saw last week where he is praying to God and God responds by sending an angel to him when he repents. And then finally, his, his last vision in 537 is what we're going to see that covers to the end of the chapter. And you do notice that it says Darius Cyrus of Persia... Now, what we think was going on here is that Darius was the one who came in and was working for Cyrus. So Cyrus was the overarching king emperor of all of Persia, and he set up Darius to kind of rule over the Babylon and that region of the Persian Empire. So, so that's why it has both names up there. 
Um, but we see here Daniel in his mid-80s. Now God's people are allowed to go back to Israel. They can go back to the promised land, but Daniel is still in the Persian Empire, still in Babylon, probably because he was too old to make it home. It would be too hard of a journey to travel home, so he is still there, maybe in retirement. So if you're in retirement, God's not done with you, okay? I mean it, okay? That's your refirement. That's when you're supposed to go for your second lap, okay? And here's Daniel, and he has this vision of the Great War, and he's overwhelmed by it, so God sends him an angel. And this angel that comes to him after these 21 days is not named. We've been introduced to a couple different angels, and and we're going to talk about the archangel Michael who's going to appear in this last section of the scriptures. But this angel is not named. Uh, But this angel, Daniel, describes what he looks like. That he's wearing white robes. He has a gold belt. His face, he says, was like lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like bronze. This guy is crazy, okay? This angel is a supernatural being that is so overwhelming to what Daniel sees that he falls again on his face when he sees this angel. And this angel begins to speak with him. And in verse 12, it says, Then the angel continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Do not be afraid. Did you know that's the most common command in the entire Bible? (laughs) Don't you like that? Don't be afraid. Do not fear. I haven't counted, but I've been told that there are 365 instances of that command. There's one for every day, okay? Meaning we humans are afraid of a lot of stuff, and we need someone to remind us again and again, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And Daniel gets that multiple times from this angel. Don't be afraid. You don't need to be afraid even of this supernatural war that's going on around you. And then the angel continues. He says, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, so 21 days ago, since the first time you spoke, your words were heard. Meaning Daniel was praying in this time of mourning, in this time of no lotions. He's praying to God, and God sends him an angel. He says, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. Now, we learned last week about how God responds to prayer. Because in that chapter, uh, that Daniel prayed, and boom, immediately, swiftly, God sent an angel, the angel Gabriel, to him. Swiftly. And yet, some of the things that Gabriel said were going to happen were going to come very slowly. And this is the thing with prayer. God does move swiftly. He hears your prayers the moment you speak them. In fact, he knows what you're going to pray before you even say it. God is instantaneous. He's swift. And yet, sometimes, his process is slow taking days and weeks in this instance, sometimes months, years, decades, generations before the prayers are fully answered. And in the case here, Daniel prays, his words are heard immediately, swiftly, and the angel is sent to him, and 21 days later, this angel comes to him. And we'll see here why in just a minute. But I want you to pick up the bigger idea of this supernatural thing, that God sends angels. So the first thing we need to learn about our supernatural struggle, that's not against flesh and blood, is that we need to pray to the God who sends angels. Pray to the God who sends angels. Ask him to act. Ask him to send his angels. Do you know what angels are here for? To help us. To help us. I want you guys to see this. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14, 
we read, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Do you know who those people are? That's followers of Jesus. Angels are here for us. God sends his angels to help us, to minister to us, to encourage us, to strengthen us. In Psalm 91, 11, we read that God will command his angels to protect you wherever you go. Their protection. God has power over supernatural beings that you and I cannot see. Now, we're told in the scriptures, in several places, that there are thousands upon thousands of angels. And in another place, it says 10,000 upon 10,000, meaning there are so many angels that you and I couldn't count them. And these supernatural beings are around us even if you don't see them. Now, sometimes you see them. Dan Daniel sees them. I had somebody after first service telling me about an experience where they saw an angel. And sometimes that happens. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 13, it tells us sometimes angels show up like human beings, and we don't even notice that they're there. That's one of the reasons why you should be kind to everybody. You never know when you're going to entertain an angel, it says. Angels might come, and you might not even realize you had that encounter, but there are these supernatural beings. And what we're told throughout the scriptures is that the angels um, are of different uh, ranks, and they're different responsibilities. They have different roles in the world. The word angel literally means messenger. And this may, in fact, be one of the lower forms of angels because they have different ranks. There's an archangel, Michael, that's going to be talked about in a little bit, who's like one of the top dogs, okay? Maybe the top dog angel of all the angels. But there are other supernatural beings. Even in the book of Daniel, if you've read closely, some of the angels are called watchers, that they're watching us. They're watching over us. There are some that are called messengers, angels, there are even some called the holy ones. We're not told what they do. And in other places in the Bible, they're called the seraphim or the cherubim. Some of you, when you picture an angel, you just see this fat, naked baby with a diaper on with wings, right? Guess what? That angel is not in the Bible, okay? Okay, that's made up. But we do see angels with wings. Last week, we saw that Gabriel came swiftly, like he was flying, Swiftly, so he has wings. In Isaiah 6, when Isaiah enters into the throne room, he sees this vision with angels with multiple sets of wings, with six wings. So there are all sorts of different types of these supernatural beings, and they have different ranks and different responsibilities in God's supernatural kingdom. And some of us were like, wow, I didn't, I didn't know that. Well, you should have known, because we look at the animals. God made a whole bunch of them, and they're all sorts of different, right? I think he's going to do the same thing with the supernatural realm. He's creative, <laughs> He likes to make up things, create things that are incredible. And these angels that they have, whether it's different ranks or different responsibilities, they are commanded by our Father in heaven. So when we pray to him, we can ask him to send angels. Have you ever done that? I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you to start adding that to your prayers. Ask God to send angels. Send angels to protect that person. We saw that angels will protect you on journeys, on trips, in difficulties, to strengthen people as we'll see in a minute. But God responds to our prayers, and that's why we should pray to the God who sends angels. I mean, he's got all the power, like might as well, like, hey, can you help me out with something? Send an angel. You got tens and thousands of them, right? Can you spare one for a few minutes? He can, and he wants to. He wants to help you. That's what they're there for. And I think it's important for us to understand that there are angels, and they do act. Um, it, it, look a little bit later at what this angel does in response to Daniel's prayer. So remember, he's overwhelmed. He, he's feeling a lot of crazy stuff. So in verse 16, if we can pull that up. Verse 16, Daniel says, I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish. 
because of the vision, my Lord, and I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. So this means he's supernaturally overwhelmed, he's spiritually exhausted, emotionally feeling down, and physically he is spent. Have you ever been there? Some of you are physically spent right now. Some of you are watching online right now because you are so exhausted, and you're struggling, and you can't even get out of bed. And if you're in those moments, do you know what we should do? Ask the angels to come to help us, because what happens next for Daniel? Let's keep reading. In verse 18, it says, Again, the one look, who looked like a man, this angel, touched me and gave me strength. The touch of an angel, angel strengthens human beings. And then he says, do not be afraid. There it is again, okay? <laughs> you need it again, Daniel. Don't be afraid. You who are highly esteemed, he said, peace, be strong now, be strong. And when he spoke to me, Daniel says, I was strengthened. By the touch and the word of an angel, a human being can be strengthened. So we should pray to the God who sends angels to strengthen us, to encourage us. Some of you are struggling right now. If you know somebody right now who's struggling, somebody after first service says, my, you know, my brother is struggling with suicidal thoughts. I'm gonna start praying for angels to go and, and strengthen him. I'm like, yes, let's pray for those angels. We need their help. We need their strength. It's so important for us to do it. And God does send his angels. Now there's this story that comes from Matt and Laura Higgins. And they were missionaries to Kenya. And they wrote about it in their memoirs about their time in Kenya. Because in 1960, it was, it was in the midst of something that was going on in the nation of Kenya called the Mau Mau Rebellion. And it was very violent. And there was this group, the Mau Mau, that would attack a lot of people. And yet they decided to stay in the country to, to minister to people and tell them about Jesus. But one night they were driving to the capital in Nairobi. And on the way there, their car broke down. They tried to fix it, but they couldn't. This was in a day before cell phones, before OnStar. So they decided that they would spend the night in their car and wait for help in the morning. So they did. They spent the night in this car. And the next morning they went into Nairobi. While they were there, because they were waiting um, to fly out to go back to the States on a furlough in, in just a few weeks, and while they were there, one of the local pastors, a Kenyan pastor, came up to them and said, I need to tell you about something, because I had three men come into my church and confess to me that a few nights ago they saw you sleeping in your car on the side of the road, and they came to rob you and murder you. But they came to confess to me because while they were sneaking up on the car, they saw 16 men surrounding your car. And decided they don't want to mess with it, so they ran away. And then they confessed their sin to me. And they're like, wow, that's pretty incredible. So then this couple, Matt and Laura, head back to the United States for their furlough. And a few weeks in, they were visiting one of their sending churches. And they speak to their friend, Clay Brent. And the first thing that Clay says when he sees them is, hey, were you guys in danger recently? And they were like, well, yeah. And they told this story about spending that in the car, and he says, well, that's really interesting, because a few weeks ago, on March 23rd, I felt that something was going on with you guys, and you were in danger, so I called some men in the church, and 16 of us got together to pray. It was the same night, and we don't know what happens, but maybe what those guys saw were supernatural beings, angels sent by God in response to prayer, so pray to the God who sends angels. You never know. And though you might not be able to see them, God might be working around us with his angels. 
And he does strengthen us. He does help us. And we need that. I love that he's, like Daniel's like terrified. Okay, this is one of the greatest heroes in the Bible, right? And he's terrified. He's overwhelmed. He doesn't know about even breathing. And this angel touches him and is strengthening to him, right? Do you guys see that? So when we're in those moments, let's ask God to strengthen us to send his angels to help us. I've been watching um, a bunch of war movies lately. Um, and I, I watched uh, Hacksaw Ridge, okay? Just as bloody as it sounds. Um, and in ha- Hacksaw Ridge, it tells the story, true story, about a man named Desmond Doss, who, because he was a Seventh-day Adventist, was a conscientious objector in World War II. And actually, he was a conscientious like, participant because he volunteered to join the military to serve his country. He just said, I can't touch a rifle. I can't kill another human being. So he volunteered as a medic. And he got shipped in World War II to the Pacific, into to Japan, and he was involved in a battle that was called Hacksaw Ridge because uh, the U.S. was trying to send soldiers up to this ridge that the Japanese controlled, and it was bloody. And his entire troop got uh, nearly devastated, and he was left alone with a lot of injured people there on the battlefield. And then he started praying. And the movie shows this, and if you read some of his accounts, this is what he did. He started praying. He said, God, give me the strength to save one person, to get one more. And he prayed that, and he would go, and he would find wounded um, Americans and also some Japanese, and he'd put them on his shoulders, or he'd carry them out, and he would take them to the edge of the ridge and then lower them down. And then he'd say, God, give me the strength to help one more. And he would go out and find another one. And then he asked God to help him with one more, to have the strength to just help one more. He ended up saving 75 men. He's the only a non-combatant to receive the Medal of Honor in U.S. history. And the way he had the strength to do that, for one more, was to pray for strength. I wonder if there were angels strengthening him that entire time. So we need to pray for the angels to help us because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We're here for something so much more important and supernatural. And we really need it because there are more than just angelic forces who serve God in our world. There are also demons. There are also forces of darkness around us, and that's what Daniel is going to encounter next. I want you to jump back with me to verse 13. This angel who who took him 21 days, right? Prayed 21 days later. The angel shows up, and he says, But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. It's really interesting because he's not talking about a human being here. This prince of Persia is probably a supernatural force, a demon who's probably just as powerful as these demons. He needs the archangel Michael to come and free him because he's detained for this time. Meaning there are powerful demonic forces out there. If you read through the Bible, it seems that a lot of these demons have attached themselves to different nations. Some people call them territorial. I think it's more having to do with they they see a human being who's coming into power and they're like, we're going to ride that wave because we want to rule this world. We're in a war. So this demon is coming to the prince of Persia and, and, and he's being called the prince of Persia, but instead the chief prince, the chief archangel, comes and fights him and lets go of this angel so that he can come to Daniel. There's a supernatural battle going on here between angels and demons, between the supernatural forces of good and of evil. We read about 
what's going on here a little bit in, in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 12, we read that then war broke out in heaven. This is the supernatural struggle we're talking about. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But that dragon was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. See, demons are fallen angels. They were supernatural beings, but they disobeyed in pride to do, go their own way. And it says in verse 9, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. That's what we refer to as demons. Satan is maybe the chief demon. And then he has all these other demons. And probably just like there are different types of angels with different rank and responsibility, there are different types of demons that go to different places and do different things. Some of you have encountered some of them. I've had conversations with you. They're real. They're out there. Because there's a supernatural war going on. And that's why we need to learn the second truth from this passage. Don't trust in the powers of this world. Okay, we need the angels. They, they are the only ones who can fight the demons. Like We need God and his Holy Spirit to do those things. We, we can't do that, but we also can't trust in the powers of this world because we're in a supernatural struggle. We're in a supernatural struggle, and I think it's really interesting. We're going to jump into chapter 11 here in just a second, but in chapter 11, it talks about a whole bunch of other princes. And for some reason, everybody thinks, oh, those are human princes, but the princes talked about in chapter 10 are all demonic and, and angelic princes, and I'm like, well, maybe they're just like overlapping. Like maybe it's just hard to tell the difference because we all know that there are people in our world and we look at what they do, like Putin, and we're like, that is pure evil. How could someone do that? And we see kings, we see presidents, and you're like, how could you be so evil? Well, I wonder if there are demonic forces behind them. Now, I'm not saying this so you can be like, ah, oh, that explains that president. That's not why I'm saying that, although it might. <laughs> Why I'm saying this is we can't trust any of the human powers of this world because we never know what supernatural forces are behind them. We never know what supernatural forces are behind them. It's interesting in verse 20. The angel, it says, so the angel said, do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia and when I go, the prince of Greece will come. There's another demon behind the, the Greek empire that is about to take the Middle East. But in verse 21, he says, But first, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. This book is mentioned here. We're going to see it again in chapter 12. And all of chapter 11 is going to be this angel explaining from the book what Daniel had seen in this great war of his vision. And this book is explaining what's going on here. And this is a book that God has written. I, I think it's the same book that's described in Psalm 139. It says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Meaning God sees us in our mother's wombs and writes out the days of our lives. God knows what's going to happen in the future. He's written it. He's the author of the story. That verse is also the reason why, as followers of Jesus, we're pro-life, in case you didn't know. Because God has written down our future before we're even formed in the womb. That's why we should not be the ones to take that life. It's created by God for a purpose. 
So Daniel gets to see a little glimpse behind the scenes of this book of truth about what's going to happen into the future. And that's what chapter 11 is about. Now, chapter 11 is a crazy chapter. Don't worry, we're not going to read every verse. There's 45 of them. But what it tells us, in like one sentence at a time, is decades going on. And it actually covers a span of history that Daniel gets to foresee what's happening in the future. This is prophecy. That, that spans about 373 years. And if you pull out a history book from the ancient world, maybe from your high school history class, if you pull out that history book, there are actually 135 prophecies that are fulfilled in these, this next chapter. It's incredible. Like, line by line. It's like a decade describing this king and that king and, and, and this betrayal and that intrigue uh, with the Greeks and with the Persians and all this different stuff that's going to happen. And we're not going to get into all of it, but, but I want you guys to see that God has written that history. History is his story, as we learned a couple weeks ago. He's written it into the future. And that's why we, we can't trust these human superpowers even, these kingdoms. The powers of this world are, are not for us to trust. What's interesting, it keeps talking about the north and the south in this chapter, and it kind of goes back and forth. And I want you to see, like, if you're looking at the Middle East, well, there, there's the north and there's the south. Well, what's right in between those? Well, it's Jerusalem. It's Israel, where God's people were. They are now finally back there. But the kings of the north, who, in, in case you're wondering, would have been the Seleucid Empire, and then the kings of the south would have been the Ptolemies from Egypt, and they would go back and forth fighting, and wars were fought again and again between these two nations. It's like tug of war, and God's people are caught in between for hundreds of years. And yet none of these kingdoms that came in were the saviors of God's people. None of them actually even helped for very long because the next one would come in and defeat them. And I think that God gave his people a glimpse into the future to warn them, don't attach yourselves to human kingdoms. Don't trust in those powers. They're all going to come to an end. I just want to show you a couple things from this. Jump down to verse 14 of chapter 11. Speaking about one of those kings, it says, In those times many will rise against the king of the south, those who are violent among your own people will rebel in fulfillment of the vision, but without success. Why am I pointing that out? Because sometimes God's people think, maybe if I just ally myself with this political power, then everything's going to be better, even if it means violence and hurting others. And guess what? You always lose. Okay, I have seen some of the candidates for 2024. None of them are the Messiah, okay? None of them are going to save our country and fix everything. They might fix a few things, but then the next one will come in and ruin it, right? That's just what happens back and forth. You can't put your trust in human presidents. And sometimes it feels like that's our war to fight. Like we've got to fight because politically what's going on is crazy. We, we sometimes feel like, oh my gosh, I've got to fight against Hollywood and the media because they are so anti-Christian. Or sometimes we feel like I've got to fight in the school board meeting because look at what they're teaching, right? And we think that that's our war, but it's not. Our war is not against flesh and blood. Now, I'm not saying don't be faithful. We must be faithful and have faithful presence in politics, in business, in the media, in Hollywood. We must be faithful to stand up on our school boards and make sure our, the kids in our city and county are taught what's right. Okay, we, we have to do that, but that's not our war. Those battles will come and go. There'll be a tug of war back and forth. But our war, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Don't be mistaken. Don't trust in any of the powers of this world, they won't save you. 
In Ephesians 6.12, we read this. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You're wondering where I got my big idea from. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Why am I pointing that out? Because yes, there are demonic forces out there. But there are also human forces of evil. And we've all seen it. You're like, how could that president do that? How could Hitler have done that? Psychology cannot explain the evil that was uh, Hitler and the Third Reich. Evil can. There's evil powers behind these human forces. So don't be fooled. Don't get pulled by them. They want to draw you in. And in fact, they're even going to say the things you want to hear. In verse 32, speaking in a prophecy about Antiochus Epiphanes, but I think it's important for us today, it says that with flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will firmly resist him. They will try to woo us and flatter us to join in these forces of the world. But we as followers of Jesus, we're a part of a kingdom way bigger than the kingdoms of this world. Don't be drawn in. Don't trust those human powers. Instead, we need to trust God and stay faithful until we win. We need to stay faithful until we win. It's interesting, when you hit the very last section of this chapter, from either 36 or 40, um, Bible scholars like debate this kind of stuff, but, but it kind of flips from going on this whole series of history, and then all of a sudden it starts talking about this king who's really, really bad. Uh, verse uh, 36, let's look at verse 36. It says, the king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed for what has been determined must take place. See, God has already written the end of the story and whoever this awful king is at the end, he will be very bad and set himself up above God. People often call this the Antichrist. Paul calls him the man of lawlessness. The book of Revelation calls him the final beast. And at the end, there will be somebody who will be so awful and so evil, and it will look like he has power. But he's going to lose. He's going to lose. Verse 45. It says, he will pitch his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful holy mountain. That's Mount Zion, Jerusalem. He's going to even go into Jerusalem where God's people are supposed to be. Yet he will come to his end, and no one will help him. Even the greatest evil the world will ever see will be defeated. And guess what? We win. The story's already been written. The author of history has told us what's going to happen, and we win. And if he got 135 prophecies right, he got this one right too. We win. And we must be faithful till the end. It's our faith in God through whatever the circumstances, whatever the trials. And I don't know if we're going to see the Antichrist in our lifetime. I don't know if we're going to see the end war. But whatever it is, we must stay faithful through it. Even if it seems like the evil's winning for a time. It's not. We win in the end. And it's our faith that keeps us through it. Ephesians chapter 6, talking about spiritual warfare, says, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. It's our faith that defends us from the supernatural powers of darkness. Our faith in God. That's why James, Jesus' brother, would say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. See, we have a power way stronger than the powers of evil in this world. They're out there, human and demonic. 
But our God is stronger than all of them. And I think that means we need to realize our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Let's get in the fight. I love this quote from C.T. Studd, preacher. He said, I pray that when I die, all of hell will rejoice because I'm out of the fight. Let that be said about us. Because it takes every single one of us to engage in this battle, to realize there is spiritual warfare, to pray for angels, to, to not trust in the forces of this world, but instead to be faithful until we win. We've all got to do it. I told you I'm watching some award movies, right? I just watched Dunkirk for the first time. Dunkirk tells the true story of what was happening in World War II before the United States got involved. Because the British Army, the Allied forces, had gone into Belgium to protect Belgium and France against the, the German invasion. But the Germans were too strong. They were too fast with their tanks. And they came in and they actually um, pinned down all of the Allied troops. Almost uh, 400,000 soldiers were trapped. And the sea was on one side. And they didn't have enough ships in the entire navy to rescue these soldiers. So what happened at Dunkirk was that they realized we need more than just the military to step up in this battle. So they asked for civilians to step up and find whatever boats they had and bring them because the Navy doesn't have enough ships. And they got these little ships, they called them, because some would be yachts, but also some would be just like rowboats and lifeboats and motorboats, and they would get all of them. And the civilians, some too old to fight in the war, got their boats. Some too young teenagers would get out on their boats. And some 800... Uh, I'm sorry, more than 800 of these little boats went across the English Channel back and forth over eight days, rescuing the Allied soldiers. They, they rescued the soldiers, and over, they, I think the number that was rescued was 338,226 soldiers. Why? It wasn't because of the military. It's because of everyday people were stepping up to join in the battle. And that's what we need to do. We can't just be like, oh, that's what the angels do. That's what the pastors do. Like, no, no, we're all engaged in this struggle. And if we all step up, we're going to win. Because that's what happened at Dunkirk. The Allied forces lived till another day, and then were eventually able to defeat the forces of evil that was the Nazi party. But it takes every single one of us to step up and realize our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And we know we're going to win. Because Jesus won. And Jesus was the greatest supernatural being, God himself, the Son of God, who had angels worshiping him from all time. And yet still Jesus left that to come down among us and become flesh and blood. To walk among us, to struggle and suffer and have down days, and, and like Daniel, be overwhelmed sometimes. And did you know Jesus needed angels to minister to him? When he was tempted by Satan for 40 days in the desert, says that after he had not given into the temptation of Satan, that the angels came and ministered to him. And then right after that, in the strength that they provided for him, he went out and began his ministry, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and for the first time ever, casting out demons. Do you know that's the first thing that Jesus did in his ministry, was casting out demons. Miracles had happened before that, but this was the first time demons were cast out because God was taking back ground from the enemy. And Jesus was proclaiming a kingdom not of this world. And he's taking back ground. And Jesus did that. And then the forces of this world captured him. And, and when they arrested him, when they arrested him, Jesus said, 
If I wanted to, I could call down 12 legions of angels to come and rescue me. That's what Jesus said. But he's like, I'm not going to do that because my future has already been written. And it's part of God's plan that I must suffer and die. Then at his trial before Pontius Pilate, Pilate looked at him and like, you're a king. Where's your kingdom? Why aren't you defeating us with, with violence? And he said, my kingdom is not of this world. So they put him to death. And I think in those minutes that the demons were celebrating. Satan thought he won, that he had overcome. But God knew that his power is greater than the forces of this world, the forces of darkness. And Jesus on the third day rose from the dead. And it says in the book of 1 Peter that Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, to the demons, that he had won. Jesus proclaimed, I have won. I have defeated the grave. I have defeated evil and Satan by my death on the cross. And Jesus promises that he will come again. Take that Satan, take that beast and throw him into the lake of fire and be victorious with God's people forever and ever. That's what we have to look forward to. We win because Jesus is our king. Jesus is more powerful than any of the forces in this world. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You might not see the supernatural around. You might not see angels and demons. They're there. Evil is real. But we know one who is more powerful than anything the world has. And if we trust in him, we will win. Let's pray. Lord God, I, I thank you so much that your son Jesus conquered over Satan and the demons, casting them out, giving us that power. And Lord God, I pray that you'd send angels to protect us, to help us in a time that feels very spiritually dark. Lord God, protect us. Help us take background from the enemy because we know that the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. Lord God, help us to take background to help more people find eternal life and have their lives transformed by the new life found in Jesus. Help us know our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now, if you're here today, I want to let you know that if you want the powers of good working for you, maybe you've felt evil, you've experienced it. If you want to overcome it, you need the Holy Spirit in your life and you need to declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior to have that power on your side. So I want to give you the opportunity right now to receive Jesus' gift of his death on the cross, forgiving you of your sins, offering you new life and eternal life to reign with him forever. But you've got to say something like a simple prayer like this. So if you're already a follower of Jesus, would you say this prayer out loud to give courage to somebody who needs to pray it for the first time? And if you're here, please repeat after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Save me. Forgive me. In faith, I declare Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me to follow you and be strengthened until we win. Now with eyes closed, if you said that prayer for the first time, if Jesus today for the first time is your Lord and Savior, we want to celebrate with you because Jesus said the angels are celebrating with you. So would you please lift your hand on the, on the count of three. One, two, three. Put your hand in the air if Jesus today is your Lord and Savior. 
Lord God, we are grateful for all those who make a decision to follow you and give us the strength to carry on. Lord God, I'm, I'm just so grateful for the person in the first service who decided to follow you and has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And for all of us, Lord God, take us out of darkness and bring us into light because we're in a supernatural struggle and let us never forget it. But also let us never forget that no matter how bad things get, we win. Amen. Amen. All right, well, if you guys haven't noticed, we are starting to do our giving time at the end of our services now. So now is the time to respond by giving. So if this is your church home, we'd ask that you'd give and you'd give generously. To, and we're really trying to show you that your giving impacts the next generation. This week we had a new family um, drop off a kid for the first time at Turbulence, our student ministry on Wednesday night. And, and she texted me and said, yeah, it was the first time and, and my son was crying telling me about it. She said, I just can't believe what God has actually done for our family in the mere two weeks I knew y'all existed. Isn't that cool? God is impacting families. And Sawyer shared a little bit about camp from last weekend. Since I've been here, we had the most students go to middle school and high school camp ever, which is awesome. But he said even better than that was um, on Saturday night at their final night of the conference, um, there was a you know, they gave the talk, and, and three of our students, three of our high schoolers, were so moved that they were uh, emotional, some of them even crying. And he said what was even better than these students being impacted by God's word was that the rest of the students came around those three students and started praying for them. And he said he was just so moved because he and the chaperones didn't even know what was going on, but it's the students ministering to the other students and helping them. And that's what we're doing. We're helping students follow Jesus, helping kids follow Jesus, so they can help others follow Jesus. And your giving makes that possible. So we'd ask that you'd give right now, give generously. You can give at arisedenver.com slash give. You can use the QR code behind me. If you're here in person, you have cash or checks, you can drop those off in the white boxes on the way out of the auditorium. Um, and then once you've given, um, we're gonna stand and we're gonna worship together. So let me pray for this giving time right now. Lord God, um, we're just so grateful that you gave us your son and that you are impacting the next generation, the next generations of warriors. Like arrows and a quiver are children born in one's youth, Lord God. And I'm just so grateful that you fashion us to be weapons in war, not in a human war, not with violence, but with love, with the gospel of peace, that we can proclaim to the world that Jesus wins and that we win with him. And I pray that our giving would make that happen here at Arise Church Denver and around the world as we take back more ground from the enemy. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.